Thanks, Asanda. Six minutes past 12. This is a midday live on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Welcome. Uh, it's, a, it's a brand new week after an action-packed sporting weekend. Sebastian Vettel from pole to first place podium finish. Is a Lewis Hamilton ever going to win any race this season? Really? He started second. And what business did he have finishing third? That beats me still. Bafana Bafana, it's all good. So uh, the baby box and uh, the spring box this afternoon, it's uh, the Proteas up against the Pakistan. They've got to win that one. And uh, well done. Rafael Nadal is unbeatable. He became the first man in tennis history to win the same Grand Slam event eight times. Now, in politics, uh, what did you make of uh, the Dali Tambo Grace uh, Mugabe interview last night? I thought it was a great interview. In fact, a very well-packaged material there, Mr. Tambo, uh, an award-winning property, People of the South. And uh, Baby Taliwa has been discharged from Nedcare Garden City Clinic, and she is uh, beginning her rehabilitation program. Congratulations to Dr. Ridwan Mia and his team. Uh, Dr. Mia is a plastic and reconstructive surgeon. Well done, Doc, there. Now, to our top stories, we'll talk to the ANC Youth League task team after it disbanded seven provincial executive committees across the country. So we welcome your thoughts on uh, any of the stories that we're carrying today. 34701 is our SMS line. You can tweet us. We are at SAFM Midday Live. Otherwise, you can also send us a tweet or tweet us at Kualapi News. We are also in Midday Live at sabc.co.za. To our top story at this hour, more than 1,000 dismissed mine workers are protesting outside the extractor mine in Steelport in Limpopo. Labor Union AMCO spokesperson Zeb Mabilu says workers are seeking clarity from management. The workers were dismissed last week after embarking on a non-protected strike two weeks ago, alleging racism by mine management. Three chrome shafts have been closed, uh, closed down due to the strike. For more on this now, we joined on the line by Rudzani Chibase, our reporter there. Good afternoon to you, Rutani. Good afternoon, Bongi and uh, to the listeners. What's the situation like there at Extractor in uh, Limpopo? Uh, over a thousand workers have just gathered outside the entrance of the mine. Right now, they are not demonstrating. They were demonstrating earlier on. Now they are just gathered outside uh, under trees. Police are here monitoring the situation and the security personnel. When we interact with uh, the workers, they are saying... They only want the mine management to reinstate all of them uh, to back to their positions. What we are uh, we had is that the mine the managers the mine management wanted each one of them to launch and, and what they call an appeal uh, individually, which the workers are against. They say they want all of them to be reinstated, over 1,500 of them, as they were uh, dismissed last week by the management. All right, so, so the mine management is still offering them that opportunity to appeal despite the second uh, uh, notice being issued by the, the management last week to say if you don't come back to work because this is uh, an unprotected strike, you'll be dismissed. The, 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 the last word they heard from the mine was those SMSs which were sent last week to say you should come back to work or else you should consider yourself dismissed. They said since then they haven't heard anything with the mine, yes, but uh, we, we, we understand that uh, negotiations are currently going on between AMCO top management in Johannesburg and the extractor management. But here on the ground, uh, the workers say they're just waiting for to hear from those in Johannesburg about the outcome of the negotiations. Mm. But you're saying the situation is still calm at the moment? The situation is still calm at the moment. Police are just monitoring and uh, mine security. The workers are not demonstrating. They're just under trees, uh, relaxing, and not working. As you explained in the intro, we understand that uh, three shafts have been shut down. They are trying to get some people from other shafts, uh, platinum shafts around here. But three shafts, we, we told that they have been shut down. But we're still struggling to get uh, comments from the management, mine management to get their side of the story here. So well, I tell you, we're struggling also uh, to get a comment from mine management. In fact, last week they promised that they will come through and then they decided they don't want to come through anymore. But uh, th- these workers, uh, do they occupy uh, hostels? Are they stay-in workers? Uh, because then if you have been dismissed, you also need to vacate your, your, your room in the hostel. Uh, that, that, that's been the process that has been happening all over the years. Uh, in, in fact, in very many years. So what is the situation like right now at the hostels? These are the workers who are staying outside. Uh, you know, there are villages around Gatersford. 
and uh, some areas around here. Uh, I brought here every morning by buses. They were chiefs and they include truck drivers and then operators of different machines. And uh, to tell you, uh, when we interacted with them, they said this thing has uh, brought to surface a number of issues which are not going on correctly here at the mine. They said uh, there are people who are still in 2,000 person rent who are working underground. Racism is still rife here. When, I mean, that's the words from the workers themselves. They say sometimes in the morning when they are, they are tested for alcohol, for dust risers. Some white people are not tested, blacks are not tested, and these are the things that they've been brewing for quite some time. And now that there's this, this strike, they, 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 they have resurfaced now. They want all these issues to be attended to. We thank you very much, Ritani Chibase, our reporter in Limpopo. It's exactly 11 minutes past 12. A top story this hour. The presidency says former President Nelson Mandela's condition remains unchanged. Looking at the markets at this hour, gold is trading at $1,378.30 an ounce, platinum at $1,493 an ounce, the rand is trading at 10 rand 20 cents against the US dollar at 15 rand 80 to the pound and 13 rand 40 to the euro. Twelve minutes past twelve. This is a midday live on SFM, South Africa's news and uh, information leader. Still to come, we're talking to the ANC's uh, youth, ANC Youth League Task Team. This after seven of uh, its uh, provincial executive committees were disbanded this uh, past weekend. They are currently holding a press conference, and then immediately after that, we will talk to them. Or in fact, during uh, the the press conference that is happening there. Northwest Deputy Police Commissioner William Bembe has told. The Marikana Commission of Inquiry that he and some of his colleagues are still receiving psychological counseling after two policemen were killed during the unrest in Marikana last August. The two officers were attacked by an, uh, an angry mine, or rather by the angry mine workers after demanding from Bembe to see their employer. They were on their way to the Vonderkop copy and Bembe says without warning some of them changed direction and headed towards the settlement nearby. For more on this now we joined on the line by our reporter who's covering the Marikana Commission of Inquiry, Spiwem Kiza. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Bongi. Take us through the proceedings today at the Commission. Well, this morning uh, the Commission did uh, concentrate a lot on the video clips uh, that, or that showed uh, events that unfolded on the 13th of August. This video clip was played on Friday as well when Ben was um, explaining his role from the 13th of August and when two of his colleagues were gruesomely killed by the angry mine, mine workers. And we know that on Friday he explained in details how he uh, tried to communicate and act as, um, as, 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 as someone who was in between, who was um, trying to resolve uh, issues between the police at that time and the angry mine workers and tried to communicate with them. Uh, he said that he... he met them at a, at a railway line and they were on their way to Vonerkop and even today he's, t- he's still taking the commission through what happened on that day when his colleagues were killed and one injured and he also uh, did say that um, they, he and, and his colleagues are still receiving uh, uh, the, the uh, psychological assessment but he said that no one has ever came to them from those uh, psychologists to say that this is a way forward, this is uh, the, this is what they should do. But although they are still uh, continuing with the with the assessment, but there were no results from the psychologists. What else came out? The other thing is that he is uh, he was stressing that um, the, the only problem that started and w- w- when these uh, mine workers. Uh, 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 Attacked the policemen because he was he was also he was asked as to why did the, these uh, mine workers attack the policemen. He, stre- he was they were they were on that issue and he was stressing that uh, while they were on their way to the copy they, they were surprised as the policemen because those uh, uh, mine workers changed direction and they headed towards a nearby settlement and that's when the police tried to stop them and they used uh, when, when 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 seeing that they were getting agitated they used some 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 sun grenades and tear gas to stop them. That is when the whole problem started. But overall, overall it's, it's that there's a video, uh, 
Dido Cape that are being played and they, they are, he is taking the commission through that from the 13th of August up until we saw on the, on the day when the 34 miners were killed. Thank you very much uh, to our reporters, Pio Mkize, who is monitoring the Marikana Commission of Inquiry that is taking place in Centurion at 16 minutes past 12. Looking to access the Chinese market? The Department of Trade and Industry invites applications to the South African Expos in China to be held in Jiamen, Shanghai and Beijing from 8 to 13 September 2013. South African investment projects and exports will be showcased. The closing date is the 14th of June 2013. For inquiries, contact Uarabile Makonga on 012-394-3745 or email omakonga at the dti.gov.za. The DTI, empowering industries and broadening economic participation. Remember to catch SABC 2's daytime primetime shows this afternoon. We start the day with Relate at 12 p.m., where we find ways of mending broken bonds. Next is Days of Our Lives at 1 p.m. The Forrester family rules from their stylish mansion in Beverly Hills on the Bold and the Beautiful at 2 p.m. Catch the community of Hillside on the repeat of Siemendalan at 2.30 p.m. Lies That Bind brings along the drama and intrigue of a Kenyan family at 3 p.m. In the repeat of Mubangu, enjoy the cultural conflicts that take place at 3.30 p.m. Only on SABC2. The National Arts Festival in Grahamstown runs from the 27th of June to the 7th of July. The biggest festival on the continent has 3,000 performances, including the best theatre, hottest jazz, awesome dance, great music, lectures, comedy, film, performance art, exhibitions and much more. It's the place to be this winter. Book now at CompuTicket. Visit us online at www.nationalartsfestival.co.za. The National Arts Festival, 11 days of amazing, in partnership with SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Political analysts say the primary reason behind the disbandment of seven ANC Youth League Provincial Executive Committees is to eradicate any remnants of former leader Julius Malema. The decision was taken during the league's national task team meeting held in Gauteng at the weekend. The task team recently held advisory meetings with the affected provinces where it was found that there was a factionalism within the league. And of course the task team is currently holding a press conference but I asked the spokesperson for the ANC Youth League task team, that's Bandile Masugu, to indeed confirm if the seven Youth League PECs have been disbanded. Yes, we have made an assessment of the structures, uh, did oversight visits to all provinces, and we have found that the, in, four, in four provinces, uh, the, time, the, the term of office of those uh, provincial executive committees have left, and there were no programmatic uh, programs that were done, organizational programs that were done uh, in those provinces. In three provinces, in Pumalanga, Western Cape, and um, uh, we actually re- and KZN reconstituted uh, the provincial testing because there were no PECs there, but we only dis- uh, dissolved for four provinces. And uh, w- which one are those? And uh, the ones that you didn't dissolve, why not? Uh, we, we dissolved Northern Cape, uh, we dissolved Free uh, State, we dissolved uh, Northwest, and we dissolved uh, Limpopo. Uh, the basis of that dissolution was that, uh, as I said, the term of office had lapsed, and there were no organizational programs that were undertaken, and there were high levels of divisions and factionalism, factionalism in those provinces. In KZN, uh, Western Cape, and Bumanawa, there were no PECs there, so we only reconstituted uh, the task teams, and um, hoping that they would lead the provinces to Congress. Uh, then. The two that are left, the Eastern Cape and Gauteng, we are still going to do the assessment and then we'll make a determination after we've visited them and we've met with branch uh, members in those provinces. So this is purely based on that. It's got nothing to do with uh, uh, what has been called now purging of the last remnants of uh, former President uh, Julius Malema's influence in the ANC Youth League across the country. No, that's why we, we undertook to literally to make a, a state of the organization assessment. Uh, it doesn't really uh, have to do with whether people were supporting Malima or they were supporting any other state in the national conference of the ANC. Mm. So it, it, does, it doesn't have nothing to do with it. 
So what next then? What does this mean? Uh, is there going to be a, a, an elective conference soon uh, so that at least uh, there is a stability in, in the NCF League? Yeah, it's going to be a, a longish process because we have to first build, rebuild structures of organization from scratch, uh, from branch level, and then we'll then uh, appoint provincial trust teams that will lead those uh, provinces to conference. You admit that uh, the ANC Youth League is in a precarious uh, condition right now. I think that's the assessment that was done is in the national conference of the ANC. And also when the, the ANC of the ANC disbanded the youth league, that's what they, was, that was the observation that they made. Mm. So what we have done was just to ascertain the state of the organization, which we found that it was in a weak state. And uh, now the task is to rebuild, which is going to be a tough one. And uh, rebuild, you need to do that fast because uh, you are, we are approaching elections and uh, the ANC needs the ANC youth league, not a paralyzed ANC youth league. No, we won't be paralyzed. When we appoint PTTs, they won't be paralyzed. There will be leadership in provinces, there will be programs that are done, and uh, surely that there will be some stability moving towards the elections and towards the conference itself. Let's talk about the financial standing of the Youth League. We understand that the Youth League is broke, doesn't have any money, doesn't have assets. There are people who are owed money from previous conferences that, uh, that you guys had. So what is going to happen to those people? Are you going to pay them? Are you going to get money from the mother body so that at least you are uh, uh, solvent? The matter that I won't be able to comment on because it's handled by the ANC. But what we are doing now is to try to garner more resources for the rebuilding process. You are a career man. You are a, a medical doctor. You need it in, in, in the theatres yes. and so on. Do you, do you find time also to do ANC work? Uh, no, from July I'll be doing this uh, almost full time, the NTC work. And uh, that's uh, the spokesperson for the ANC Youth League uh, task team. That's uh, Dr. Bandile Masugu right here on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Sivuile W, I hope uh, you got that one. You were asking what exactly, uh, at what time exactly is the Youth League entity interview. Uh, there you have it. They are currently uh, hosting a press conference, uh, of course, to talk to the media about this uh, particular move of uh, disbanding seven of their provincial executive committees. Some of uh, your SMS is coming through. Uh, the management of Extractor at Dubatse will not reinstate the workers because they want to reduce AMCO membership as they are not affiliated or affiliates of Kosatu from K. Uh, it's actually Khoha in Lihuatzila there. Unlike the PTT in Limpopo, the ANC Youth League interim leadership knows what they are doing. They have a program of action that gives them direction to guide them uh, achieve their mandate. Limpopo's PTT uh, first salvo was control of tenders and extension of their stay. Well done, Youth League, uh, though not an easy road. That's uh, Mavis there writing to us uh, from Limpopo at exactly 23 minutes uh, past 12, right here on Midday Live on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Justice Minister Jeff Khatebe has released the names of 42 convicted fraudsters. The names have been made public because of the large amounts of money involved and uh, to serve as a deterrent to other would-be fraudsters. The list includes the names and identity numbers of many government employees and private individuals who defrauded departments, institutions and municipalities. Neil Makutin compiled this report which is read by Ronald Peary. The names of 42 convicted fraudsters, many who used to work in government departments, have been made public by the Justice Crime Prevention and Security Cluster. Justice Minister Jeff Hadebe defended government stance of naming and shaming criminals to ensure they are held accountable for their actions publicly. In promoting good governance and transparency, various bodies and institutions have been working together to fight corruption. This joint effort shows the firm commitment by our government to deal with this scourge. The minister says making the list public also aims to deter others from engaging in corrupt and criminal activities and sends out a powerful message that the government is committed to fighting corruption. Our cluster of the JCPS will leave no stone unturned to ensure that no one enjoys ill-gotten gains and wealth amassed through unlawful activities. 
the fight against crime requires that we deal effectively with corrupt officials whose actions undermine the integrity of the criminal justice system and the work of our cluster as a whole. Khadebe says disciplinary proceedings relating to government officials are currently underway. Within the realm of disciplinary procedures, 794 matters have been finalized in relation to corruption and related charges internally within the JCPS departments during the period 1st of April 2012 and 20 April of 2013. Gaudeng's former and first housing MEC, now turned businessman Dan Mufugeng, and former Land Bank CEO Philemon Mutlatlani were among those who were named and shamed. A total of 758 persons are currently under investigations for corrupt activities, freezing orders to the value of over 1 billion rand have been obtained. This over 1 billion rand includes forfeiture orders for 14.7 million rand brought against the former CEO of the Land Bank, Mr. Philemon Muslasane, and the Gauteng businessman, Mr. Dan Mufuking, who defrauded the Land Bank and transferred funds to a range of outside entities for their own benefit. Khadebe says anti-corruption task team has obtained court orders to freeze over 1 billion rand. He says the assets forfeiture unit has frozen several farms which were proceeds of fraud and corruption. The asset forfeiture unit completed forfeiture on 302 cases in the past financial year with a value of 118.4 million rand. The success rate of the FAU over this period was about 95% and in addition 276 new freezing orders were obtained for the financial year to the value of 518 million rand. In the past 18 months, the AFU, as part of the ACTT, working with the Department of Rural Development and Land Reform, has recovered through forfeiture three farms to the value of 59 million rand lost through corruption, which can now be used for proper service delivery to the poor on this land reform program. Another five farms to the value of 44 million rand have been frozen and should be recovered soon. Khadebe says the frameworks for combating corruption in South Africa are in line with international practices such as the United Nations Convention Against Corruption and the SADC Protocol Against Corruption. And uh, that report put together by Naomi Kuting and uh, voiced uh, by our own here, uh, Ronald Peary. At uh, 28 minutes uh, past uh, 12, it's a, it's a very cold day across the country today. I would like to hear from you about uh, the weather conditions in your part of the world. Here in uh, Gauteng, the weatherman telling us that uh, temperatures today are sitting at uh, 16 degrees Celsius. Uh, what is uh, your status, weather status, where you are? And of course, uh, we hope to talk to the Helen Sussman Foundation. In fact, we have confirmed that they've launched a legal action against the Judicial Service Commission uh, to seek clarity over the procedure and decision-making process regarding for judicial uh, office uh, right there. It's uh, 28 and a half past 12. During the month of June, we honor our youth and their contribution to freedom and the success of our country. We urge the youth to join us in the campaign to eradicate drug and substance abuse, which is tearing families and communities apart. Let us support affected families. Let us support law enforcement agencies to bring drug peddlers to book. Let us empower children and the youth to refuse to take drugs and for those who are addicted to obtain assistance. Working together, let us create communities that are free of drugs and substance abuse. I thank you.
And indeed, uh, it's a youth month, and uh, we are broadcasting uh, from Newcastle, I think, uh, this uh, this coming Sunday, where the National Youth Day will be celebrated. So we're going down there on uh, Saturday, and uh, the broadcast will come through on Sunday. It's uh, 12.30 right now, and uh, let's say good afternoon to a very warm-looking Sunday Matanya, this cold Monday afternoon. How are you doing? Earlier on, Lulu uh, sent us an SMS on 34701 saying that why does the country need the youth league what do they do so that's uh, just uh, another uh, sms coming through you too can uh, send us an sms on 34701 to the eastern cape now where the social development mec there pemi machodina has condemned the brutal killing of uh, two women at uh, ndungwana village near kofimvaba the women aged 82 and 21 were hacked and gang raped allegedly by a four-man gang Another 78-year-old granny is in a critical condition in hospital. Majordina has reiterated that the National Prosecuting Authority is failing women and children who are victims of violence. Gullego Nyembezi reports. The 82-year-old woman was hacked and gang-raped, and the girl had her throat slit during the attack. One woman has been admitted in hospital in a critical condition. Police have arrested four suspects for questioning. Social Development MEC Pemi Machodina visited the bereaved families to offer her government's condolences. She has condemned the NPA for what she described as a failure to protect victims of violence in the province. Indeed, I'm very shocked, and um, I disapprove all these killings of poor and older women that are staying all by themselves in their own rollovers that get raped and killed time and again every week we don't register anything less than 15 women and children that have been brutally killed and raped I'm saying to NPA as I said several times they are failing women as well as children in this province and I'm going to fight for the voiceless I'm going to fight for the vulnerable women of this province without any favor the NPA has meanwhile refuted the allegation that it doesn't prosecute cases relating to murder and rape of women. NPA spokesperson Luko Lokali says more than 20 rapists have been convicted over a short period in Transkei. It's unfortunate that the MEC is feeling that way because our statistics show that we are successfully prosecuting these rape cases. More than 90% of these cases end up the suspect being convicted. If, for example, in the last three months in the area of Tonskai only more than 20 rapists have been sentenced to life imprisonment and there are many more that have been sentenced to not less than 15 years in jail. So we are continuing prosecuting people, we are continuing successfully getting heavy sentences against rapists but the only problem that people need to appreciate is that rape is a very difficult case. Speaking on behalf of the bereaved families, Sipelele Mkwiki says the families are saddened by the killings, pleading with government to play its role. We are feeling very sad and unhappy because these are the oldest people and this girl was still young, hoping her future was going to give us a brighter future and the grandmothers that are murdered now were our only hope because in times of problems we used to go to them and give us some advices and everything we are left bare we don't know what we are going to do meanwhile angry village women have warned of harsh action if the four suspects are released we as women and the community in this village have taken a decision that these boys must not be granted paid by the court of law and should they be granted paid they must not come back in this village otherwise we will take the law into our own hands yes the decision has been taken that we will approach government to please keep them there because we are angry and of course we will take them Vimbayo says they have organized a committee meeting to come up with a strategy to prevent the senseless killings. She says her municipality will assist in the funeral arrangements. The community of this area organized a meeting. We are going to attend that meeting so that you can have their views, so that you can support where we can. And again, we want to organize a joint memorial service where we are going to talk to this community and also the youth of this area. The motive for the killings is being investigated. The four suspects are expected to appear at Tofimvava Magistrates Court soon. Kulula Konyembezi, SABC News, Tofimvava.
terrible, terrible story that one. And of course, uh, uh, big ups to uh, MEC Penny Majordina uh, there uh, for really saying that we need to do something as a, as a country, but also as the province. Fifteen cases of rape and murder in the Eastern Cape on daily basis. This is way, way too much. Uh, something really has gone wrong and something extraordinary needs to be done. Let's go now to the Western Cape where legal counsel for 17 schools fighting closure in the Western Cape High Court has argued that the Provincial Education Minister Donald Grant was misdirected by not giving reasons for the decision to close the schools. Senior counsel Norman, Norman Arense wants the court to review the decision. On the line now we're joined by our reporter Vanessa Puna. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you. Just give us a bit of a background uh, to, to, to this story. Yes, uh, initially, and that was last year, um, the Western Cape Education Department had earmarked uh, 27 schools across the province um, for closure, uh, citing a number of factors, including uh, dwindling learner numbers, uh, poor results from these schools. Um, in many instances, particularly in farming areas, uh, the issue of multi-grade teaching and also poor infrastructure um, in, in some of these schools. Now, that was initially 27 schools here, more foreclosure, of which in October last year, uh, Minister Donald Grant announced that 20 of these schools would be closed. Now, that number of 20 has dwindled down to 17 schools. Um, that are still um, earmarked foreclosure. And this is exactly why these schools have taken the matter um, to the Western Cape High Court. In December last year, the schools were granted an urgent interdict uh, preventing the department from closing the schools pending the outcome of this uh, final judicial review. And that is what's being heard in the Western Cape High Court today. Um, counsel for the schools, Norman Orenser, um, has told a full bench of the Western Cape High Court uh, that, um, among other reasons for bringing this um, review application, is that the public hearings um, that preceded the decision to close the schools uh, by the department and the minister were flawed. Um, he says that, I mean, he described them as a sham um, and that it did not contribute um, to the ultimate decision to close the schools. For example, that the uh, parents, the educators and the communities at large uh, were not engaged with um, when it came down to the decision to close the schools. Uh, we've heard from uh, Senior Counsel Norman Orenser today um, that the department um, had flawed in, in the entire process. And this is why at the time last year when the department had um, conceded to keeping four urban schools open, um, that being um, schools mostly on the Cape Flats, um, Bobolon High School, Protea, the Lavis Raylan, as well as Val Park Primary School, um, mostly in Bishop Lavis and Anova Park, um, as well as Born Evil. Um, the Save Our Schools campaign and the schools themselves basically said this was a slap in the face. What about the other remaining mostly farming schools? Mm. Um, Norman Orange is arguing at the moment in the Western Cape High Court. We expect him to carry on with his argument for the duration of the day. Um, and then tomorrow we expect um, counsel for, for the department uh, to, to answer um, argument. But, uh, you know, this, this move has uh, faced uh, stiff resistance uh, from the likes of uh, Kosati, for instance, in the Western Cape that have said to, to the MEC, uh, this, this, this move is uh, divided along racial lines. Capacitate these schools, improve them, make them better, as opposed to shutting them down, because it means then that uh, learners will have to travel long distances to go to, to the other schools that, uh, that will remain open. This is exactly the thrust of what the communities are saying. This is exactly the thrust of uh, what the Save Our Schools campaign is saying. Uh, most of these schools, you would know, are in poorer areas, um, whether it's on the Cape Flats or in the poor farming areas of the Western Cape. And what they're saying is that um, once these schools are closed, there's a very high risk for high chance um, of, of learners dropping out of the school system. And this is why the communities are fighting to their nail, as it were, to keep these schools open. Um, also, some of these schools are located um, in gang-infested areas and the socio-economic uh, circumstances in those areas um, are making it very difficult for learners to go, for example, from one school based in Bishop Lavis on the Cape Flats to a school which is quite nearby in, in, in Anova, oh, sorry, Bishop Lavis to um, schools like Valhalla Park, but because of the underlying gangsterism, the underlying um, crime-ridden areas, and these are the reasons why um, communities are up in arms about these schools closing. 
Thank you very much. Vanessa Puna is uh, our reporter in the Western Cape uh, looking at uh, that matter of uh, 17 schools facing closure in uh, the Western Cape by the Western Cape Education MEC Donald Grant. Let's talk uh, matters weather now. Uh, just uh, one SMS coming through from Steve saying, Bongi, it's warm and sunny here in Cape Town for a change, unlike the past week when it was uh, freezing. And uh, this one from Peggy Chris saying that uh, Bongi Mukabe's uh, interview uh, should have been titled From the Horse's Mouth. They were very informative indeed, talking about the two interviews of the president of uh, Zimbabwe, Robert Mugabe, and uh, his wife, Grace, which was aired yesterday. It's put together by Tali Tali Tambo of uh, the people of the South. Stay under the blankets and uh, snuggle up uh, with those uh, winter woolies, hot soup maybe, and coffee. That's the advice from uh, the SA Weather Services as temperatures in Guazul Natal remain within the mid-teens. Port Elizabeth has experienced its coldest morning since August 2008. The weather office in the city says Jamestown and Buckley East had some of the lowest temperatures in the region at minus 10 degrees. Cold weather over Gauteng will continue until Wednesday. To find out what kind of a winter season uh, that we can expect, we joined on the line by the scientist at the South African Weather Services, uh, Copas Olivier. Good afternoon to you, sir. Hi. All right, Mr. Oliver, let's, uh, let, let's talk about uh, this, this, this weather right now. What, what kind of a, uh, a winter are we in for? Well, generally for most of South Africa, we expect normal to above normal temperatures for the whole of the season. So this does not indicate that there will not be any cold systems throughout the winter, but as an average for the whole winter season, we expect normal to above normal uh, temperatures. But it's going to be cold. It, there's always possibilities of cold. Uh, uh, winter season is characterized by specific cold systems, which we cannot really forecast the seasonal time scale, although we can forecast the um, average weather for the whole season, and currently we think it's going to, going to be normal to about normal temperatures. What is normal? Uh... Well, it's, it, it differs from uh, place to place in the country, So, uh, but generally what winter is what we have uh, experienced over the last uh, 30 or so years, we can expect that type of weather. Um, you can always get uh, one system coming and giving extreme cold conditions or uh, a lack of those systems, which we expect for this winter season to have a general uh, warming effect. Mr. Uh, Olivier, just talk us through the, the, the cold front that uh, we are experiencing right now. I mean, uh, in Gauteng, it will start clear up around about Wednesday, but uh, we hear of uh, very cold conditions uh, further south, further south, Port Elizabeth there, Jamestown, Buckley East, of uh, temperatures uh, under minus 10 degrees. Yeah, so, um, so I don't specifically have the details of the specific system currently going over, although those can typically be expected for any winter season. You can get these very intense cold fronts that can give very cold conditions. And uh, often we have uh, people dying around uh, around uh, these these cold conditions or due to these cold conditions. Really, what 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 needs to happen right now to make sure that at least? But also, you you then have uh, shack fires in many parts of our country. Uh, people trying to you know really uh, snuggle up and and be warm. What 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 what's your advice as the South African Weather Service? Well, unfortunately, we can't really give advice to what uh, to do with the effects of, of weather. We can only really do the forecast. That's normally up to the disaster management guys to give advice on what specifically to do. Um, it's very difficult for us as we don't have the expertise on how to cope with these things. We can only really uh, give the best possible weather advice. All right, we thank you very much, uh, Kopas Olifir. He is uh, is the scientist there at uh, the South African Weather Service at exactly a quarter to one. And uh, we cross now to the dealing room uh, this cold Monday, and we say good afternoon to Sudhir Singh of uh, Sasfin Securities. How are the markets looking at the start of a new week, uh, Sudhir? Bungi, global markets are off to a positive start this week with Japanese stocks are making a strong recovery on the back of better-than-expected growth numbers. European stocks have struggled for direction as Chinese data raises fears about its growth. Over on Wall Street, stocks ended last week on a positive note, with benchmark indexes posting their firstly first weekly gain in three on the back of uh, the May payrolls rising more than expected. 
Just taking a look at the U.S. stock futures this morning, it is pointing to further gains later on this afternoon. On the local front, the JSE has been propped up by the weaker rent, as the rent head stocks benefit from the weaker currency. The rent has uh, weakened on the back of uh, the dollar trading stronger and locally concern over further mining strikes, which is pulling down the resource counters. Taking a look at our local indices, we've got the gold index, which is down almost 1%. The resource 10 index is down 0.2%. Industrial 25 index is up 1%. The financial index is down half a percent. And overall, the market is up around 124 points, or 0.3%, 40,939. Uh, any big movers today? On the upside, we do have Telcom, which is up uh, just over 5.5% at 16 rands and 80 cents. Aspen is up 4.5% at 196 rands and 50 cents. Richmond is up almost 2% at 91 rands and 80 cents. MTN is up 1.3% at 173 rands and 40 cents. And on the downside, we have Growth Point, which is down almost 5% at 25 rands and 40 cents. Harmony is down uh, just over 2.5% at 40 rands and 50 cents. Anglos is down 1.5% at 223 rands and 70 cents. And lastly, we have First Rand, which is down just over 1% at 27 rands a share. And uh, your latest market indicators? Currently, we have gold, which is trading at $1,378.30 an ounce. Platinum is at $1,493 an ounce. Brent crude is at $104.30 per barrel. And finally, we have the rand, which is trading at 10 rand 20 cents to the dollar, 15 rand 80 cents to the pound, and 13 rand 40 cents to the euro. That's it from me, Bongi. Thank you very much, Sudhir Singh of uh, Sasfin Securities. Enjoy your Monday. SMS coming through from Mervyn saying that uh, MEC uh, Majordina uh, criticism of NPA is wrong. NPA is created by her ruling party ANC, cheap politicizing them. And this one comes through from uh, Tammy in Bloemfontein. The ANC Youth League must go back to the basics of each one, teach one, and uh, through the eyes of a needle. An SMS coming through from Tammy in Bloemfontein. The Helen Sussman Foundation has launched a legal action against the Judicial Service Commission to seek clarity over the procedure and decision-making process regarding nomination for judicial office. The foundation is asking for an order declaring the recent appointment of five men and women as judges of the Western Cape High Court irrational. Furthermore, the foundation has asked for an order declaring that the process the JSC followed was unlawful, irrational and in valid. Let's uh, talk now to uh, Francis Antoni, who is a director at the Helen Sussman Foundation. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, and thanks for having me on the show. Thanks. All right. Uh, wh- why this move? Why are you challenging this move? Why are you going to court to seek some clarity around the procedure and decision-making? Um, just some preliminary remarks. Uh, about the Helen Sussman Foundation, our mandate is to promote liberal constitutional democracy, and we believe that central to our political, socio-economic life is our constitution. <coughs> and central to our democracy, then, is our constitution, which uh, shapes our society and the sort of society we want to become. Sure. In typical constitution is the judiciary, mm. and at the apex of our judiciary is the constitutional court. Judges are, in effect, the guardians of that constitution. Therefore, it's vital for us that the process of appointing uh, judges is transparent, it's fair, and it's also accountable. Uh, this, this particular court action uh, which the HSF has embarked on is not about personalities. It's not about uh, Mr. Gauntlet as such. It's not about Judge Kachalia as such. It's not about Mr. Budlander. It's about matters of process, not about personality. Well, what kind of uh, process would you have uh, wanted the J- JSC to, to follow? Because I'm, I'm really not understanding here. There were four posts here, and uh, there were eight people interviewed. Five names were put forward uh, for the president's uh, uh, signature, or at least uh, to, to have a look at and see if he appoints those. Nunko Sisaba, Jeremy Contlet, and uh, Stephen Kuhn, were not, uh, those names were not submitted to the president. What's wrong, What's wrong with that? Uh, nothing in itself is wrong with it, but what we did manage to view was the correspondence between the JSC and uh, Judge Harams, who had asked for uh, reasons to be given. And those reasons don't seem to me 
to be adequate reasons in terms of excluding people. Uh, what we would look at here is uh, what is the relative merit, uh, or rather, what is the relative weighting of Section 174.1 and 174.2 of the Constitution? Seven, uh, 174.1 stipulates that uh, the men and women who are appointed must be uh, of, of great integrity and have a great knowledge of the law, and Section 174.2 of the Constitution is, uh, requires that uh, there is a need for the judiciary to reflect broadly the racial and gender composition of South Africa mm. when judicial officers are appointed. What is the relative merit of these, 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 these two subsections? How, does the, how, do, how, the, how would the court interpret them uh, in order to give the JSC guidelines uh, for it to continue to make appointments? We're not asking for any appointments to be set aside. Uh, nor is it appropriate to seek judicial office via litigation. Uh, we would not g- uh, go along with that. But what uh, Mr. Asking, uh, Mr. Is, Mr. Anthony, with the same breath, I mean, what, what does it say then about uh, the five names that have been put forward for uh, the president, uh, for, or at least recommended to the president? D- does that say that uh, they, they do not hold uh, integrity? Does it say that uh, there is no reflection of a racial balance there? Is that what you are saying? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying I'm not concerned about the personalities here. I'm, what, I'm, what we are asking is what is the process which the, J, the JSC should follow in future appointments, uh, giving relative weight to all the subsections of, of Section 174. Mm. And, and it's, 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 that, it's that balancing which they've got to do, which is a difficult task. Of and course. our job is to, to assist the JSC. And the best way we can assist the JSC is by going to court and saying, what do the courts feel is the relative merit of 174.1 and 174.2? How do the courts weigh up uh, these matters, uh, and how can they assist the JSC? Okay. Now, in some way, the, uh, the, we've argued in our founding affidavit that the, the Commission misconstrued its powers as set out by the the Constitution, uh, in that it elevated certain factors. There are a whole host of other factors which we consider should be brought into bear as well. Okay. And these include compassion, knowledge of local communities, the te- a good temperament, sensitive to the emotional state of litigants and so forth. Well, all right. Uh, Mr. Anthony, why go to court? I mean, couldn't you have spoken to JSC and say, look, uh, help us understand here, that's number one, but also number two, the reasons given for their exclusion, at least I'm talking about uh, the three right now who were excluded. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a very good question. What, what I think has concerned a number of people, uh, and it has concerned the JSC as well, is the uh, is that within the JSC there seems to be uncertainty uh, about how to to proceed on these matters? Insofar as we saw recently uh, the resignation of one of the uh, commissioners who was a, a representing the, the General Bar Council of South Africa, uh, Mr. Smuts, um, why did he resign? What has gone on there? It clearly suggests. Uh, or it indicates strongly to, to the HSF uh, that the, the JSC is not exactly a happy house at the moment. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, there's, uh, we have run out of time. Francis Anthony is uh, the director at uh, the Helen Suzman Foundation. Time now for Create with Michelle Constant. Create is proudly presented by Business and Arts South Africa, bringing the business of the arts and the art of business together. Currently on at Museum Africa in Newtown, Johannesburg, is the exhibition The New African Movement. The exhibition aims to highlight and pay tribute to the writers, intellectuals, artists, political and religious leaders who contributed and promoted the New African Movement. Ali Longwani is the chief curator at Museum Africa. He outlines the history and contributions of individuals that participated in the movement, ranging from Iskia Mpatlele to Todd Machikiza to Nadine Gordmer. The exhibition New African Movement celebrates and interacts with the emergence of a generation of intellectuals beginning in the 1700s until 1960. 
these were intellectuals who went through missionary education. Some of them were priests. They went to schools like University of Fort Ham, but they were people who had accepted that their future as individuals and as members of a community did not lie in going back to pre-colonial Africa. Their future lies in acknowledging that the process of colonialism was now equally their heritage. However, they needed to evolve new ideas, new visions to look forward to the creation of a new society and therefore conceptualized the concept New African. And the concept New African came up a lot in their writings because many of them were editors of newspapers, they were also writers of pamphlets, they were composers of songs and music. According to Shongwane, many of the debates and issues that the New African Movement addresses are still prevalent today. What is interesting about this generation of intellectuals we are calling New African Movement is that many of the issues they were grappling with then are still with us today. They were grappling with social cohesion, they were grappling with divisions in our society, they were grappling with problems around ethnicity and so-called notions of racism, and all these issues are part of us today, you know. And as we evolve new ideas, sometimes we think we are pace setters, but we are not connecting with those ideas to help us address the concrete problems that we face today. Zola Mchiza is the exhibition curator at the museum. It's not an exhibition that looks like any other exhibition. This exhibition is very educative, informative, and definitely people will learn, especially people who want to do more research. And another fortunate part is that the exhibition is coming from our permanent archives, which is very, very impressive of us, the museum. Albeletz, the acting director of Arts, Culture and Heritage at the city of Joburg, says that she's learned something of the people who've played an important role in Africa over the years. I think what's important for us is that we really need to start looking at the history that has brought us where we are now. You know, where we are coming from plays such a critical and vital role. I have learned so much from this exhibition. There are names of people here that I know that we've renamed streets of, but I haven't known their history and I haven't known exactly what roles that they've played. So for us it really is, is to get people into the museums to come and read about these wonderful, wonderful people that have played amazing roles in the history of South Africa. And through exhibitions like these, where we can give information, people can learn. And maybe through those learning processes, we do away with some of those negative ideas that we have. Learning is the only way that we know what is going on around us. And, and ignorance is what causes a lot of the problems that we are experiencing. The exhibition will be running until later this year at Museum Africa in Johannesburg. I'm Michelle Constant. This feature was produced by Monique Stander, and you can email me on create at barsa.co.za. Create, proudly brought to you by Business and Arts South Africa, creating new opportunities for business arts partnerships. Email create at barsa.co.za. ANC Youth League at uh, TAS team currently briefing the media on uh, the reasons behind the disbandment of seven of the league's provincial executive committees. Well, five minutes ago, uh, got a tweet here coming through at Karen Duplessis saying that uh, waiting for ANC Youth League dudes to show up, they are late, so it hasn't started. Thanks to the teams, Tarazala Zamini, Mandesamkelo and Mabubuluka, technical producer, Mark Prela, senior producer, Nomalizo Mandela, and executive producer, Obrisa GM. My name is Bongi Kuala. Let's do it again tomorrow for your Tuesday edition of Midday Live. Till then, bye-bye.